Welcome to the Four Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Ivy Lassiter, and I'm so glad you're here. Pop in your earbuds and multitask while we talk about all the parenting stuff, lessons learned, funny stories, and practical wisdom from normal people who've been there. Let's get started. On today's episode, I'm talking with Mary Flo, the founder of a resource called The Birds and the Bees. It's a strategy for talking to your kids about their body and sex in a helpful and healthy way. I went through her resources online when my oldest was a toddler. Y'all, it was so helpful. You know how there are certain things you hear or read and for some reason or another, they just stick with you. Well, that training stuck with me and I use what I learned during that hour or so at least on a weekly basis. So I am just so excited that you get to hear some of Mary Flo's wisdom here on the podcast. Talk to me about what inspired you to start The Birds and the Bees. It was an odd situation. I grew up in a family where the word sex was never said, not even close. You know, if it rhymed with sex, my parents wouldn't have said it kind of thing. And yet I had wonderful, responsible parents who lived out um, a loving marriage full of respect. So I was, I had a very solid upbringing, great foundational, loving family, but this topic was never covered. Mm -hmm. And so there was just kind of this mystery in my mind of what this was all about. And um, I, as I started having children, I thought, and they had a few questions like, mommy, how's that baby getting out of there? Yeah. Or how did that baby get in there? I thought, I don't know if I can answer that. Right. I, should I, can I, what, what would I say if I could? So that was going on on one level in my brain. I had a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And at the same time, I was a volunteer with the Dallas Junior League. And I was on their training staff. And each year we would have a meeting. What training workshops will we present this year? And our chairman pulled out a little wadded up piece of paper inside the suggestion box. And she said, this has been in the suggestion box for five years, but we're going to do it this year. And she unfolded it and it said, would someone teach us how to talk to our kids about sex? (laughs) And I immediately started shaking my head. No, 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 no. It will not be me. Don't, don't, (laughs) don't give me that wadded up piece of paper. Yeah. And she said, she just pointed it at me and said, Mary Flo, I think you should take this. And I said, oh, you have no idea how wrong you are. This is not, I'm not your person. I don't know what this looks like. I only have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. I'm probably a decade away from working on this. And, right. And um, she said, well, we'll send you to Washington, D.C., and you'll get training. Whoa. And I know this is a long story, so forgive me. No, no, but, no. But you know, I said I had a four-year-old and a one-year-old and all I heard was room service, you know. You're like, I'll so go. <laughs> I, oh, uh, travel? Yes. Well, of course. So yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go. So I went and everything I heard, just about everything I heard, I disagreed with. Like that's huh. not the way I would go about it. Interesting. And, um, and, but it challenged me personally to think, okay, well, if that's, not what you're going to do. What are you going to do? And how are you going to do this with your very own family? And so I asked the the league to give me six months to do some research and thought about it. Like, let me just think about this. Yeah. That's not what I want to do. Yeah. So after six months, I, this is what I developed. I just thought through, I talked to a lot of people, counselors, teachers, um, people that work with youth and, um, and this really prayed about it too. Yeah. I, you know, I just was like, what, how should I present this and what age? And, and so that's how it was started. That and I so thought cool. I would give it that one time. Yeah. <laughs> and here I am, you know, 30 odd years later. So the first and, time you presented it was for the, the women's league. Yes. That is yes. wild. Yes. And it's basically the same outline. Really, the biology is the same. Right. From year to year. <laughs> right. So, and... Um, yeah, that hasn't changed with however. <laughs> that hasn't changed, no matter how much the technology changes. So it's, and it's such a simple story when you break it down. Yeah. I think in our culture, we have made it into this really complicated, scary conversation because we wait to give the oh, talk yes. at the awkward, at the most awkward conversation at the most awkward age somehow culturally has become 
The norm. The norm. Yeah. And that was what was kind of revolutionary in in the thinking out was, okay, how can we break that up into micro conversations at the age when they're asking these questions yeah. in a way that is so age appropriate that you're really just telling them a beautiful story. Yeah. But you're yeah. just unfolding that story as they grow up. Yeah. Instead of, oh, I can't tell you anything. And, and making it scary and unknown. And really, in this day and age, they are going to hear something before right. they turn, you know, that it's just inevitable. You're really, if you want to be the one to tell them, you do have to start young. Right. It is crazy how early, you know, you just never know when they might get exposed to it, you know? Exactly. And then you're just playing defense. You're just reacting to something that's already happened in their life. And we really want parents to be in charge of this topic, to yeah. run ahead of your kids instead of behind them yeah. and say, here's where we're going with this. Right. And here's the message I want you to have as you're growing up in our family. And the other thing that was really eye-opening to me was that even though you have a six-year-old, let's say, they are in school, not with other six-year-olds which it looks like they're in school with other six-year-olds, yeah. but they're actually in school with the oldest sibling of anyone in that room. Exactly. Exactly. Because your firstborn is sitting next to the youngest of four. Uh-huh. So somebody has a six-year-old with a 16-year-old brother. And that child is bringing in all kinds of information, jokes, stories, media, all, all the things that that child who is just as loved as your firstborn, right? But just is growing up in a sixteen-year-old world, naturally and your exposed child, to it. Yeah, there's nothing in your child as the firstborn that has anything beyond the horizon of six. When yeah, they're, when they're six, everything is right at their age level. Right, but when they're the youngest of four, everything. <laughs> your we like to say your family is the age of your oldest child, and everyone else keeps up. Yeah, which isn't necessarily you know, a bad thing, you know, it's, no, it's just the design no, no, no. of your family, but it is something you've got to think about when you send your oldest to school or anywhere, you know, that it's like they're being exposed to things, you know, did, so when you did all that research, you had a four and a one-year-old, were there things that you were currently doing that you're like, oh, I need to change? Yes. I needed to start talking. <laughs> yeah. You were like, oh, I, at like so many things I needed to change. I needed to use correct vocabulary. Yeah. I hadn't done that yet. Yeah. Um, I needed to be more medical. Um, I, I needed to catch up on the story of birth because with my firstborn, I basically said, well, I go to the doctor at the hospital and he helps me. <laughs> now, what kind of cookie do you want? You know, I just redirected right. all of my thinking away, right. away from, <laughs> instead of inviting them in to dazzle them with this amazing story yes. and making myself look like the expert, I just kind of blew smoke over it and was, was trying to have it fade into the wonder of a cookie, you know? So right. I, I definitely had to get on board with what I was learning. And then I also Bless his heart. My husband didn't think this was a very good idea because he grew up in the same kind of family I did. Right. He he grew to appreciate it. I will say that he yeah. kind of went along with me and grew to, to be the, my biggest fan. So he he definitely. But at first, it did seem like no, let's don't tell them that. <laughs> you you feel like you should preserve their innocence or something like that, you know, or. I, but, and, and let's just think about that for a minute, because you're exactly right. That was our thinking. But what we're actually doing is preserving their ignorance. Yes. And there is a difference. There is a huge difference. And innocence is more of a state of mind than it is a lack of knowledge. Does that make sense? So you can know of something and still be innocent of, of the yuckiness of it, I guess uh -huh. I would say. You can still see it in the right light, which is, you know, that was one of the things that I thought, you know, God brings it up first thing out of the, you know, first thing in Genesis. <laughs> He's explaining this oneness. Yes. And so why am I hiding it in Leviticus? You know, why am I 
wanting to wait till things get difficult. Let's just tell this simple, age-appropriate, beautiful story and let it be a part of their upbringing. Yeah. Well, that Um, concept applies to a lot of things, too. I mean, a lot that that innocence and ignorance are two totally different things. That's um, right, man. And you can preserve one, and you can preserve their innocence. I really believe that in the way that you unfold these stories, and uh, and not uh, let them be ignorant, because then you're leaving them wide open to whatever other messages they hear out there, which may not sound as innocent and and true and good. Yeah. One of my favorite things, and I think about this on a weekly, if not daily basis with my boys, <laughs> is your visual of the sponge. Will you explain that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's, I just, I, if I want the people listening to hear this. Well, what I like for parents to imagine in the mind of their child is a sponge. And you can label that sponge curiosity about sexual things. And children are born with this sponge. And uh, I would say I was raised in a family where my parents made sure nothing got into the sponge labeled curiosity about sexual things. They wanted nothing to go into that sponge. Mm -hmm. And they did that, I think, on the basis of let's just keep purity. Like they just wanted to um, keep us innocent. Yeah. So good intentions. But if we, if we don't put anything into that sponge until they're 12, let's say, then when we take that bucket of information and we pour it into that sponge, a sponge can't really absorb that all at the same time. And a lot of it just rolls off. It's shocking. It's unabsorbable. It's, it's uncomfortable. And so it's not an effective way to fill that sponge. Right. But the birds and bees method is kind of a drip, drip, drip method. And so we don't ignore that sponge, but instead we want to, you know, these are the names of your body parts. This is the message we hope you receive from us. This is our, um, this is how babies are born. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. Do you want to hear about it? And by God's design, this is how uh, a baby is made. And so it's it's all about seeds and eggs and stories and building into that sponge how this all comes together. Yeah. So if you think that you are preserving that sponge by not letting anything into it, well, if a child goes out into the world with a dry sponge, the first thing they hear you know, just gets taken into that sponge and that becomes their foundational message in there. And yet, if you think about a sponge that has been filled with these drip, drip, drips from parents, what happens with a full sponge that goes out into the world? Anything that's poured on top of that just kind of rolls off. Right. It doesn't absorb as deeply as those messages they first received. So to, to maintain the power of the first impression within the home, I think, is is what we're going for as parents. And so to see that sponge as a privilege that we get to fill that sponge, and yes, they're going to hear other things, and yes, they're going to encounter other, you know, other storylines, but we get, got to fill that sponge with what we think is important for them to know. Right. I mean, yeah, it's so good. And I think about that, my boys having like, sponges of all different their identity you know their spiritual things um just the way the world works you know things like that where when they ask these big questions if i just kind of redirect and like i don't want to answer that hard thing right well think about how your boys will treat women because of how you filled that sponge yes about respect for women and how it's not just the words you use and the lessons you teach, but the observations you make or the way you say that made mommy feel unhappy because of the way you were talking to so-and-so that wasn't a respectful language. Let's think about that. You know, just the way you are building them up in a manner of thinking. And it's not like they're robots and will just completely, you know, 
do all that we say. Well, right. But, no. But you're giving them, you are filling those sponges. Yeah. For a, and it's, it's just being a really purposeful parent, I yeah. think, proactively. I know. It's so good. Um, okay. This was actually, I, I pulled my friends and I asked if they had any specific questions. <laughs> <laughs> this was a question. Go for it. Um, was it different? Because you have two girls and a boy. Mm-hmm. How was it different? It, how was this different talking to your girls versus your son? When they're little, it didn't make that much difference. And actually, I, th- I would say birth order made more of a difference because I, I was still working on what this was going to look like in our yeah. own family. And so, bless her heart, our firstborn didn't get the, some of the foundational conversations and the awkwardness had already started to set in. Yeah. And so she's, <laughs> we laugh about it, but she still don't want to talk to me about any of this. <laughs> and so, um, that's okay. Um, she got married and has three children. She figured it out. She's fine. but, but yeah. She's fine. She's fine. <laughs> Whereas I would even say with our thirdborn, who was our son, I was a lot more comfortable. And so it was more of a birth order than a boy girl. Okay. Um, When it came to once they, that's when they were little and, and that had a lot more to do with my comfort level too. So, uh, but as they got older, um, there were more conversations that I was comfortable having with the girls and that Dave was more comfortable having with Davis and certainly on that little weekend away, uh, we didn't do it as a whole family. You know, I just took the girls on on those times to talk about how their body was going to change and how, you know, just kind of to reset the table mm-hmm. to prepare for those teenage years. And uh, Dave didn't do that all in one weekend. He took um, he took Davis on a series of hunting trips. There we go. It was dove season. <laughs> That's a way to do it. <laughs> And now Davis wants nothing to do with dove hunting. <laughs> it's kind of a, tr- a trigger for him. Yeah. That's so, I mean, we did not do this perfectly. Let me just say that. If I, I should have said that first thing out of the box. Um, we did not do it perfectly. Our children will tell you that. But I will say this that was so fun to hear when I spoke at my daughter Jill's church. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, she was, it was sweet because she got to introduce me and she said, everything you're going to hear tonight, I know. And I've known it for so long that I don't know when I learned it. Huh? Yeah. And so we all know when we heard it. Yes. Kind of thing when this was revealed because it was such big news and it was so shocking, but the beauty of the birds and bees concept is that it's like you don't really remember when your grandmother taught you to put your napkin in your lap. You just do it because somewhere along the way, there was a pattern set for putting your napkin in your lap. It's not as simple as that. Right. So I get it. But some of the things we learn when we're really young, they stay with us, but we can't really point to the day that we learned them. Yeah. Well, also, I just, I think about my boys and a lot. I know there are times where you want to set out and go, okay, we're going to have a big conversation. We're going to, you know, take a trip or go, you know. But so much of those those little droplets come like when we're on our way to somewhere, in the car or on a walk or bath time, bath, taking yeah. a walk. Yeah. And just, so you don't remember it as this big thing because it's just, it was something that we, was just in the middle of our day and it wasn't, you know, and it takes the awkwardness out of it a little bit. That's exactly Do you know what right. I mean? That's exactly right. You don't get this built-up anxiety. You're just addressing what's in front of you. And so that's um, – and if, you know, if you know your message, which is the first step in the birds, birds and the Bees, if you have a direction that you want these conversations to, to be going in, that's just very poor language there. But anyway, right. if, if you have – if you have the message that this is the main thing I want my children to learn about sex if they're growing up in my family, that's the first step in the birds and the bees, then you always have a vocabulary and a purpose. Yeah. And so uh, that's, that's just so helpful. You're not just fumbling around, just reacting to what's in front of you. You're like, oh, yes. And on this topic, you know, I definitely have a direction that I'm, that I'm going in. And 
We'll get to the complicated things later, but let's keep it simple and purposeful for, for now to, to, you know, so that we can address this. Yeah. And I would say too, I think um, converse, the more conversations boys have with their moms and mm. the more conversations dads have with their daughters, the more balanced they are. And the, it steadies them because frequently boys get frustrated with their dads in the teenage years and girls get frustrated with their moms. Huh. And so, I mean, that's not a hundred percent, but it's kind yeah. of like, but you kind of want to know that you're, you, you kind of have this feeling about your dad. I noticed that with my girls, like they just gravitated to dad um, in those awkward years when I was annoying them. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it, that's really, and, and boys kind of bump up against their dads sometimes and feel that strain of trying to live up to their dad's expectations. And they, they really sit down and get that comfort food from mom and yeah. want them to s- explain that. What, how do girls think about this? Yeah. And you're the only girl they know. Right. So you're that trustworthy voice. Right. And and I can remember saying, you know what girls really, really want? They want you to smell like soap. So you know, <laughs> I had really valuable wisdom for <laughs> So take a shower and brush yeah, your teeth. So <laughs> if you want to know what girls think, they think yeah. you're stinky. Yes. So go take a shower. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. Anyway. Well, that's super helpful just to think that that I have just as just as a significant of role in this as my husband does. Actually, you know, I think a or, little bit more. Yeah, because you are the window into where they are going. Like the a, a dad can uh, can bring a male approach, and he has a lot of wisdom. Yes. For, okay, I know how you think. I know how visual you are. I know how um, how difficult this is. I've been there. I know that. I've experienced it, but. They have never experienced what you've experienced, and and you can just give them such a you know you really need that other brain to come along and point things out, right? Of how um, it's it's just so much more enriching to have yeah. a good relationship with your mom. Yeah, that's great. Okay, I want to talk about technology. So okay. when you started this in '86, that was not a thing. <laughs> Were there well, even phones? No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so how has that – I mean, you didn't have to research that, which I guess probably saved you some time but yeah. a, a, originally. But how has that changed your message or impact impacted what y'all do? What it has done is it has brought down – it has brought what used to be considered the preteen conversation into the preschool conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And um, because the exposure – is um, is right there. Fortunately, there are some great resources out there for parents, and we have put it into our conversation too. We have definitely talked about. Uh, we have this what we call the pause for porn. We we go through our steps, but we stop for a minute and really talk about the dangers in your of, training. In our yes. training, yeah, yeah, we yeah. do now, which we we had put that at the end before, you know, yeah. like and now when, now that they're about to be teenagers and now that's not the case anymore. So we have, that's really the only thing that has changed in, in our, um, in our program is that now we have lowered the age of preparing your child really yeah. to, to see pornography yeah, and, and not just waiting to react. But um, the good pictures, bad pictures books are so good. And mm-hmm. even they, they had good pictures, bad pictures, and now they have good pictures, bad pictures, junior. Huh. So it's- That's it for what for age? Parents of preschoolers. Okay. So it is, it, it is training for if you were to see a bad picture. Um, I know when our kids were little, um, you know, the, there were computers and things. And so there was still- it, it was still out there. Like mm-hmm. you could, you could latch on to, um, to bad things in technology yeah. accidentally or on purpose. Yeah. And so we talked about, I, did, I just thought, how do you talk to kids about porn and you don't really want to talk about porn? You know, you don't even want exactly. to exist or a, a, that they would be kind of curious about it. So the conversation we had went something like this, just to talk about how, 
you know, there's something in our house. And if you were to take it, if you were to swallow it, it would poison you. And we would have to go to poison control. And it's called Clorox. And it's under the sink in our kitchen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, we walk past it all the time, but it's mm-hmm. under the sink. And we just use it to kill germs. But it can also eat up the inside of your stomach. And it could kill you if you yeah. swallowed it. Yeah. So when you were little and crawling around and pulling things out, we put a lock on the cabinet that was under the sink because we didn't want you to accidentally drink Clorox. Right. Because we find Clorox useful, we still buy it. <laughs> yeah. And so it's still in our house, but yeah. you are now not, we're not threatened by you accidentally picking up the Clorox bottle and drinking it. So yeah. we don't have a lock on there anymore. Now, there's something else in our house and it's called a computer. Yeah. And we find it useful, and so we have it. But there is a dangerous aspect to it that is very much like poison. Yeah, It can damage the inside of you, even though the outside of you may not look damaged. Mm. And sometimes that can happen accidentally, and sometimes people go looking for it. Yeah. But it's a very... Um, it's a very dangerous thing, and you need to think about it like you would think about poison because it's so damaging. And then you need to think of me as your parent as poison control. So if you were to swallow that Clorox, you wouldn't sit in the corner and go, I just can't tell mom. No, you would say, I think I drank something really, really bad. You need to help me. Yeah. The same is true with, with these bad pictures and bad things and bad people that are on the internet. You need to not keep it a secret. That's when the damage starts to take control. Yeah. So. Does that make Yes. Yes. So it's helping them to see that sometimes we have things that we um, think are useful, like a computer, like we're not throwing, maybe we should, but we're not throwing it out the window. It serves a purpose here, but it can also, it has an element to it that can be extremely damaging. Right. And so, and you've given your kids, yeah, you've, in that explanation, you've given your kids. Because the reality is they may just stumble on it and then they if they start feeling shame mm-hmm. and keep it a secret, that's what we don't want. You know, so you've given them a solution to like if that run does to happen, me. You yeah. will never be in trouble. That's the, that's what they have to know. Just because you see something bad doesn't make you bad. But yes. we need to we need to have a conversation after you see it. We need to make sure it doesn't happen again. We need to protect you. We need to talk about what you saw. And um, how did how did that happen? And it could be just mis you know they're on computers so much now, oh, but I they're know. not good typists. And even if they are good typists, there's so many porn sites. And and also you need to put some locks on there. You need to get some protective things. So uh, we point parents to this wonderful website called Protect Young Minds. Uh-huh. They will give you all kinds of of good tips and. Um, also to the good pictures, bad pictures. And even when they're really little, some of the protection they need against um, exposure, not necessarily on technology, but just not good touches and all of that is uh, God Made All of Me, which is a good book to read. When you tell your children about their private parts and you name them and you use the right words, you do explain what private means. You can't just tell a young child, and that's private. What is that? What is private mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but mom mom assumes I know that, but I don't yeah. define private for them. No one else should ask to look at them. Nobody else can touch them. Nobody else can take pictures of them. You yeah. have to use that now too. You know, that you give them a you know, you you know what that word means or you have an idea of what that word means, but they may not know what that yeah. means. Yeah. Oh man. I know. I know. I know, but it's just it's a it it's goes back to your innocence and ignorance. If we just are ignorant then they're vulnerable. Right. It's right. it's it's like you tell your children, here's the stove, sweetie. It's hot. It's really hot. Don't touch it. Right. It will hurt you if you touch it. Well, you have some children who okay, mommy, and they don't touch it. They back up. Exactly. You have some children, oh, well, I think I can probably handle that. Yep. And they go straight for it. Mm-hmm. Now, if they have a scar as a result of that, 
at least in your mind, I mean, that's not, it's still not good, but you can say, I told you. And they don't have that scar based on the fact that, oh, I just didn't want to tell them. Right. You know, they, they took a risk, but it was the, now it, it's getting a little complicated, but you don't have the, you want to be sure you have given them enough information that they can be empowered to not make good decisions. Mm-hmm. At some point in their life, they may make poor decisions, Yes, but you want to know when you put your head on the pillow, I told them, I explained this to them. This was yes. clear to them. Yes. That we are, we are, God has given us children to steward them well. And it's, you know, I have one of each of those. I have one that will follow the rule mm-hmm. <laughs> and one that's like, mm, I don't really think not, that's not for me. So yeah. when you have a child that quote messes up or isn't following, what, what would you say? What is your, what's your wisdom on that? Just in a general sense in, or on yeah, this topic? On this topic. Like, I mean, I'm thinking like teenagers, like a mm-hmm. teenager that, you know, you're like, they haven't followed what we've set out. You know, how, what would you do? It's very painful. It's very painful. And um, first of all, you love them. Yeah. You pray for them. You um, you catch them. Yeah. And you say, I know what's going on. Yeah. And um, and then you you kind of review with them. You try not to freak out, which yeah. is really hard to do. Yeah. And, um, and you recognize this is more of a heart issue. Like no matter, you can remove everything, which you do, you know, you, you sell their car, you do all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Giving you just my personal list. Right. (laughs) Um, But they, they need to see that you are there for them, that these are hard years and they are going to mess up and that there is, um, there is forgiveness And that, and you just hope they learn from those mistakes. And sometimes that's the only, for some reason, that's the path that they're on is to learn once they come to the end of themselves, you know, and that sounds like a hard thing to hear, but it's almost, um, it's actually, I see it looking back now, now that we have eight grandchildren and all of our children are are married and have their own children. And I see that was part of my sanctification. And that's a really big word just for saying that was part of my journey of trusting God with them. Yeah. That it really wasn't up to me. There were, there were things I had to absolutely do as a parent, but there were things I could not do as the parent. Yeah. And so you just, you become much more of a person of prayer. Like in college, my husband would send a text daily. Mm-hmm of scripture to my son, but I would just give parents hope that you are not over it all. You're not in control of it all. That's the balance of, we want to do everything we can steward our children well and, and be people that are leading and guiding our children well, but we are not in control of them. And God is, and God's going to guide and direct them and, and work in our life. Like, I I feel like even little, like that was something I, I can't imagine when they're older and, bigger problems. You know, even now I feel like I learned that like, okay, I'm not in control of this little guy. He's going to do things that I even say, you know, oh, um, right. And you know, what we want them to see too is sometimes it's a, it's a balance because things like sex, like we want them to see it correctly. Right. Because I think when I was growing up, there was, and even when you were growing up, um, Ivy, you know, they, it was almost seen as bad, like, no, 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 you know, d- this is not a good thing. For sure. For sure. And so stay away from that. And, and if you don't, it's like the unforgivable sin. Yes. And it's not. And it's, you know, all of these things culturally were, were being said in, in the, in the Christian community. And then these poor girls got married and it was like, oh, no, no, we were just kidding. It's really good. So go ahead. I know. And and, and really enjoy this. So we need to be, have a more balanced approach, I think, to say, okay, when you play, play is a good thing. It is such a good thing. We love it when you play. We love, I mean, that's why we have all these toys in the backyard. I would love to see you play as much as you can. Yeah. Now, playing in the street 
not good. Right. Why? Something is, something is going to come along and wreck you yeah. if you play there. So we have to divide, we have to separate um, in the context of marriage and in a covenant situation, this is good. And God said, it's very good. Right. Out of that context, you're setting yourself up for pain and danger. Right. You know, there, there are consequences that I don't know that you really want to take on. Right. And you can't, and they're almost inescapable. Yeah. So it's the baggage that you take from that. You take, you know, it's not that it's unforgivable, but can you see the consequences? Having sex is a very adult decision. Right. And as a child, as someone that's not, your brain isn't fully formed, you, sometimes you don't make adult decisions because it's not just what happens tonight, but how will you be paying for it for the rest of your exactly. life? Poss- possibly. Yeah. And so anyway, but it's all redeemable. So it's, it, so I'm not saying that this is an easy conversation, but it, it is one of those things where they just have to realize you can tell them something is good, but explain that it's good here. Right. It's not good there. How can how can something be good but not good? Yeah, and you can talk about that in with a lot, a lot of, ways. of things. We talk about that with eating. We talk about that with show watching. Shows aren't bad, but watching too many is bad. You know, right. or all, this all of those things. in front yeah. of the fire. In front of the fire, you can say, "Isn't this? Oh, well, don't we love our fire pit? Don't we love our fireplace? Oh, I just love to look at it, smell it. Mm, nothing yeah. like a good fire." But if your house catches on fire, if it's not where it's supposed to be in the fireplace and it gets out, it's destructive. Yes. So things can be fearful and wonderful. Yes. They were actually fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. How can something be both those things? Yeah. So I think it's just good. It's so good that you're talking about that now because then it will, those illustrations will build in their minds and it's logical. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, okay. How did your family navigate? modesty with clothing. This was another question that I pulled my friends and they wanted it. Specifically, <laughs> this was one that girl moms had. They were like, what, how do we navigate this? Like, why don't they help us? <laughs> you, know, you go, you know, not that we're out shopping much these days, but still you go and you think you're not giving me choices. Yeah. Um, I can't say I did um, everything just right in this category either. You know, you have to say, sweetie, that's just not sending a good message. Right. You know, you basically have to, and, and you can do it in a neutral way, not such a threatening way. Pull out some catalogs, uh-huh. you know, and say, save some of those catalogs you'd rather throw away and go, okay, you don't know this person, do you? You don't know this person in this catalog, you don't know them. Just based on what they look like, what would you say? Huh. What kind of person would you say they are? We, we all make these judgments because I can see most of her breast. What do you think she's saying about how much she respects her body? Hmm. Or do you think how, how smart, you know, is she coming? And then you show another picture that what, what do you know about her? I don't know much, but it looks like she's smart. Are you saying that because why are you saying that? Because she looks like she's ready for business or because, you know, just, just to know everything you put on, you're kind of sending a message a little bit as, and you know, God looks at the heart. So you have to talk about that too, but it's, um, there were times where I would just do the shopping and -hmm. come home and say, pick three. This is what we got. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And now then they go, you know, I try to find things that I thought they would like, Yeah, but, um, also, we had to have one conversation one time that went something like this. Okay, you have to wear it. So you have to like it. Yeah. I can't make But I have to pay for it. Uh-huh. So I have to. So we're going to have to put, bring things into the dressing room that I'm willing to pay for and you're willing to wear. That's good. Yeah. So if, if we go somewhere and you are only pulling out things that you're willing to wear but not considering that I don't really think that's appropriate and don't want to pay for it. And I have to pull things out that I think, well, I I like this, but I don't think she will. Don't even bring it into the 
into the dressing room. You're yeah. just causing a problem. Yeah. So find some neutral ground if you can and let them see, you know, let's try to leave with, with things we we're both happy about. Yeah. Meet in the middle on it. That's great. When you first asked the question about modesty, I thought you were asking about walking around without clothes on. And I oh, do know well that. that t- or, or like bathing together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's just going to vary from family yeah. to family and person to person. I think the general rule is respect the most modest person in your family. Okay. Like be respectful of modesty. And some families just, modesty is not a big deal. Exactly. They just run around naked and they're fine <laughs> with it. And then for them, I would say every once in a while, let's just practice being modest. <laughs> yeah. In case someone ever wants to come over. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Like, let's pretend we are modest. Just and what would that look like? <laughs> that's great. Knock on doors. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. But so it, there's not necessarily a right or wrong on, you know, how an age for bathing together is just kind of what. There's not an age, but I think, you know, once they get into elementary school, they're much more concerned about privacy and, and, and they're, they're able to take care of things while you go off and get dressed. And maybe you start to feel like, you know, I just would like a little privacy. Right. And so you can say, guys, you know, just give me a minute and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe dad can take the boys in the other room. Give, let's give mom a minute to get yes. dressed. You know, just, I think you can start to, you can start to see that change a little bit in elementary school, yeah. but. And then you always want to keep an ear on what's going on when they're all bathing together. If you have boys and girls bathing together, just are we being respectful and do the rules still apply? And even though you may have to say it every night, now let's remember, let's don't touch each other. Yeah. Either. You yeah. know, just matter of fact tone, not a lot of shame or silliness, but mainly just right. kind of. It was really interesting when my seven-year-old, it was right when he started elementary school, he was like, done like he he wants to shower by himself he wants privacy right. when he gets changed and it was just it's just like a okay just we, res- we respect yeah. that you know exactly um, and for that reason i think it's important that at, starting at that age parents stop inviting them into the shower for a family shower you know yes, like respect let them that. let them you know are you you're you know you're seven now you're you're you can handle taking a shower on your own right so. right what about dating? What did y'all's what did what did your family? What kind of boundaries did y'all have in place with dating? We tried to be really positive about yeah. the people that they seemed attracted to, and um, that's a good question. I don't remember super big rules, yeah. but of course, you know, we had hours that they had to be home yeah. and. And no boys upstairs in yeah. the girls' rooms and no girls upstairs in our son's room. And, yeah. and, and kind of, we don't have that big of a house. So, you know, when boyfriends would come over, you know, we would give them some space, but we would definitely interrupt it. Like, yeah. I, don't let my daughter hear this. But oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, when she was dating someone, I started baking cakes. I decided I wanted to learn how to decorate cakes. Uh-huh. So... I would put the cake in just before he came over. So I had a revisit to come down into the kitchen den to check on the cake. Check on that cake. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. And I mean, we I'm as sure parents. It was very obvious to them. But we but, as parents have that right. I feel like it, you know, to go in and it, if they're in our house, I don't know. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But we were very fortunate. Like, I can't think of anyone my kids were dating that I didn't enjoy being around. Yeah. So, and getting well, to know them. So. I also wonder if that's a testament to y'all's, y'all's process. It's not like, now you're dating, so we need to, have to talk about all. It's, it's you had, they, they, their sponge was full of that information. So going into dating, they had a healthy view of it, you know? Um, well, one of the things we talk about on the birds and the bees on this little getaway weekend is, um, okay, take a piece of paper and at the top of it, write friend and mm-hmm. just say, okay, tell me what are the elements of a really, really, really good friend? Like what makes a really good friend? Yeah. And they might say someone that makes me laugh, someone that does the same things I like to do, someone, you know, who respects me, you know, and give them, you know, feed a few ideas and, and, and then after they, 
saturate that list of all those things that make a really, this is the, this is like your ideal friend. Mm -hmm. Then take their pen away and put boy in front of that word or girl in front of that word. And so just so you know, that's what you look for in a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't see the word hot. (laughs) We're on here. Um, No, yeah. So not that that's not important. Like that's important. These are more important. This is someone who really respects you. This is someone who laughs with you, who gets you, who wants the best for you. So you have to realize friend is the most important part of that word. Mm -hmm. And it's someone you enjoy being with that you can be yourself with. You're not trying to put on a show or win them over. Yeah. Well, and that's great advice. Like that prepares merit for marriage too. Because I'm so thankful that Drew is my friend, you know, he's my best friend first, you know, or yeah, he's my best friend, I would say, you know. Okay. Very last question to someone listening. That's like, oh no, I've completely, I'm way past. I've messed this whole thing up. What would be your encouragement? First of all, that's not possible. (laughs) You, they're still your children and they, um, and you know, unless they are married with children, maybe you can go back and laugh about it with them <laughs> or, or you can start with the grandchildren, get, yeah. get your children the course and right. do it for them. Okay. But I would say you can own it Yeah, and that will make you feel better. Actually, it's kind of hard to do, but you go back to your children. Let's, it just depends on what age, let's say they're 11 and you think I didn't cover any of this. I was waiting for the preteen talk and I haven't covered any of this. I think you can say, you know, there is, there's a topic that uh, mommy and daddy have kind of avoided mm-hmm. and it's, and we're going to put it on the table mm. and we're going to, we're not going to cover it all tonight or tomorrow or next week, but over the next six months, we're going to kind of pull ourselves up to speed Yeah, with some of the most elementary things that you may already know about. And we're not even going to start tonight. And that, that topic is the topic of sex, mm. how babies are made, how babies are born, body parts. We're, and they're going to roll their eyes because they're 11. Right. But you're going to say, but it's too important of a topic for us to continue down this path. Yeah. And so we are going to take walks on Tuesday nights, and that's going to be our topic of the walk. And you bring a question or two, and we'll bring a you know, a couple of things we want to share with you. We're going to find some books that we're going to read together and we're going to overcome this deficit yeah. in our family. Yeah. And even though that may sound programmatic at the end of those six months, you'll be caught up. Mm. Yeah. And, and you'll say, you know, this is, this was kind of worth just investing some time and yeah. some focus on this topic. And I think that, you know, that's, because it's not your children's fault that it, has, it hasn't come up. And it's not your fault if you didn't know any differently. Right, so, right. But you can at least say, you know what, I'd like to take charge of a topic that I've been avoiding. Yeah. And the, I think they'll, they will totally understand that. Yeah. I have a, um, uh, someone who came to see me speak and she said, I'm a single mom. Mm. I have you know, a 12-year-old boy and he will not let me talk to him. He just won't let me. And I said, well, that's putting him in charge of the topic. I want you to figure out a way. You know him. And I want you to fi- figure out a way. If you thought this was life and death, what would you do? I just kind of challenged her. Yeah. She did not appreciate it. But <laughs> she, <laughs> it's like, not good enough. You yeah. can't let him be in charge. <clears throat> yes. So she, he was a tennis player. So she took him one day to play tennis uh, at a place far away from their house and they played a set of tennis and then they sat down and they cu- he couldn't walk home. He couldn't leave. And she walked around and sat behind him. You know how they have those double like benches yes. at, at the park. And she didn't look him in the eye, but she said, okay, I have got to talk to you about sex. And he was like, mom, no. And she said, well, I've got the keys to the car. You can't drive anyway. And you don't even know where we are. So I'm just going to say three things and then we're going to play another set of tennis. And then you're going to ask me one question. Wow. And so she said what she wanted to say without looking at him. He didn't run away. And then they played this other set of tennis and they sat down and she waited for what she thought was a long time. And finally he asked a question. Mm -mm. 
and it broke the ice. Yeah. And, but it's funny. She said, but still to this day, we kind of need to not be looking at each other. Yeah. That, I feel that way with my boys. Yeah. Sit on opposite sides of a closed door. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Your voice is, they need to hear your voice. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And you know, you think about what that communicates to go to a kid, your your 11-year-old, and go, hey, I'm learning and I'm realizing that I didn't do something right and I want to make it right. That in that, whether they <laughs> – they're not going to respond right off the bat like, thank you, mom. You know? Applause, applause, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in hindsight, I have a feeling they would go, you know what? My mom showed me what it's like to make something right when you mess up and that – that's, to me, we're all going to mess up at some point. Exactly. And it is a good pattern to set. And it's not a checkoff thing. So I'm going to take care of this tonight. Yeah. And I, it's on my parenting list of things to do, and I haven't done it yet. So I'm just going to do No, it's a process. Yeah. I'm going to weave this in so that it's a process. It just can't happen overnight. Okay, so that was just a glimpse of the wisdom that Mary Flo shares in The Birds and the Bees. The thing I keep thinking about is this idea of ignorance versus innocence. I mean, honestly, I could probably have its own episode on just that topic. But I just keep thinking, okay, what does it look like to inform and educate my boys of the things in this world so that they can go out and live in such a way that they bring healing and health to the world? Man, I just keep thinking about it. And if you want to experience more, go to birds-bees.com for their resources. And Mary Flo, guess what, has generously given us a code so that you can get 20% off. So this coupon is all caps, one word, for parents. You can get the online bundle, which is the video content plus the discussion guide, or you can just get the video content. I promise, promise, promise it'll be worth your time. And in full transparency, y'all, I'm not getting paid to do any of this. I just am very, very thankful for how the birds and the bees has impacted my parenting and helped our family. And I just want to pass it along to you. So go for it. You won't be sorry. I hope you found something that you can relate to from today's conversation. And thanks for joining us. If you have any questions or just want more tips for parents, let me know at ilassiter at fbrichardson.org. I'd love to talk with you. See you next time on the Four Parents Podcast.